everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 60 of the show, which like is five times 12 and feels like a very important number. It is It is a number divisible by 10. Yes, it is. And has something to do with clocks and times and Babylonian numerology. True. Yeah. So, so that's where we are. And we're also in June of 1964. We are racing towards the end of a month, having covered six of our 10 comics for the month of June. And we're going to do three more today, which all came out on June 9th, 1964. And we're starting with Tales of Suspense 57. So you think kids in June 1964 were just running around in the street with hula hoops and like the fire hydrants that has the spray coming out and that's like their freeze pool and stuff. That's just what I picture when I picture the past. Right. And playing yeah. their, their Dan Fogelberg records and yeah. And buying 12 cent comic books. And it was also around this time that Dr. Who was with, with dealing with the sensorites. I know because okay. I watched the whole sensorites story with my son recently. So um, there you go. we got the reign of terror coming up in August, but right now, Right now it's Sensorites. So, um, yeah, Tales of Suspense 57. Not to be confused with Tales to Astonish 57, where Spider-Man guest appeared and, and fought Giant Man. This is the first appearance of Green Air. I mean, of Hawkeye. <sighs> Yay! Yay! Um, and, you know, it, the, the Green Arrow jokes are easy. I have always found Hawkeye more interesting than Green Arrow. Doesn't mean Straight he is. Straight up. Yeah. Um, but that's just Marvel bias, probably, on my part, anyway. Could just be Marvel bias. Could just be that I've read a, d- a ton more Hawkeye than I have of Green Arrow. I just don't know Green Arrow well enough to care about him much. But but yeah. Well, since we're into it, let's just get into it, because I did want to bring this up. Is it weird that both archers are kind of like the character on the team? You know what I mean? Like the guy who's going to mouth off. Oh. Or the guy who's going to make it interesting. Yeah. That like I do think, as even though I like Hawkeye better, I do think Green Arrow is like an interesting character. If he's on the JLA, he's gonna make it so it's not so stuffy, right? Right. Um, Especially in the Bronze Age. And I don't know if that's just because if it's a Robin Hood carryover, like you got to be kind of flippant and and shirking of rules and authority, or or what it is. But that between that and the Trick Arrows, which even though they don't make any sense, they're kind of awesome. I kind of like both of them. But yeah, it's nice to have Hawkeye in our in our world now. Trick arrows are fun, and I like the way that was made in um, the film franchise with his little rotating Gatling mm-hmm. gun of arrows, and he could, you know, push a little button code for which arrow he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty neat. He is in this little more than love smitten muscle, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, once he gets to the Avengers in a few months, he's definitely the uh, the character on the team. Yeah. Uh, this is also going to be the return of the Black Widow. Watch the sparks fly when Handsome Hawkeye teams up with the Black Widow. So she's so, back. So Iron Man's in trouble. Now, our credits do not really have like fancy credits, but they do have some pretty standard nicknames now, which are sort of settling in as being a thing. We have written by Smiling Stanley and illustrated by Sparkling Don Heck. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Sparkling Don Heck is a thing that sticks. And of course, we know that Smiling Stan. Yeah. Uh, lettered by Sterling S. Rosen. That might be less of a of a standard, um, but we'll see as we go on. Um, Iron Man faces the fantastic threat of Hawkeye the Marksman. Um, 
let's see. We started with Iron Man saving a guy, just like, you know, random spectacular save. Uh, he lands and um, runs into Happy Hogan kind of randomly. And Happy's like, hey, uh, can you talk to uh, Mr. Stark? Um, put in a good word with me, with Pepper for me. Uh, you, you know, she used to date me. We haven't we haven't had a date in a long time. So Iron Man's like, okay. Uh, because Tony <laughs> likes Pepper. And Tony doesn't want to like make Pepper date Happy. And in fact, he goes up to Pepper and tries to do what Happy has. He's like, so Pepper, I wanted to ask you about a date. And Pepper's like, really? Oh, that's so great. I have this restaurant picked out. I know what I'm going to wear. You can pick me up at this time. It's going to be so great. And she hugs his neck and Happy walks in. Sorry, sorry, boss. Don't don't want to interrupt. And uh, of course, Happy doesn't realize that, you know, Iron Man and Tony are the same person, so I don't know exactly how that works in his head. But anyways, um, so Tony and Pepper decide to go to Coney Island, and there's this archer doing a show there. And the archer is kind of annoyed because people aren't really that impressed with the fact that he can do some really cool archery. Archery's hard, guys. Um, There is a, a Ferris wheel that breaks, and so Iron Man saves the Ferris wheel, and the archer guy is like, huh, they all care about Iron Man, they don't care about me. That's fine. You know what I need to make myself memorable? I need a costume and some trick arrows. That's the arrows that no one will ever forget. And I'll be I'll be Hawkeye. That's it. I'll be Hawkeye and I'll I'll go work in a hospital at the Korean War. It's gonna be great. <coughs> um so he goes out and he sees a guy robbing a store. He's like, huh, hey, I can I can uh, stop this guy from robbing the store. So he uses his trick arrows to stop the guy, but the guy doesn't actually get stopped. No, he does. He uh, gets pinned to a, um, no. He gets pinned to a telephone pole, but then he gets away or something like that. But he drops the jewels. Anyways, the cops show up and see Hawkeye with the jewels and Hawkeye runs off. So it's kind of a, kind of an iconic moment for Hawkeye's origin that he wasn't committing a crime, but he was seen committing a crime. And uh, so he gave him a bad rap. Anyways, he runs off. And Black Widow pulls up. You look like a man who could use some help. So he's like, and you look like a woman who could use some help. Am I right? Am I right, kids? Yeah. <laughs> so he gets in the car with her and they drive off. And she goes to her really luxurious estate or something. Um, and he uh, sees all the really cool stuff that she's got going on down there. And they're talking and he's like in love with her because she's beautiful and she's rich. And she wants to get revenge on Iron Man. So she uses her feminine wiles to to get Hawkeye to do anything he wants, anything she wants him to. Very enchantress and executioner-like. Um, meanwhile, um, somehow Pepper and Happy start talking. And I think... Oh, yeah, because Pepper didn't really enjoy the Coney Island date. She was not that impressed. So never Happy asks her out, and Tony walks in. She's like, of course I'll go out with you, Happy. That'll make Tony Stark jealous, because that's mm-hmm. a thing that women do in yeah. the 60s. Sure. Um, meanwhile, Hawkeye goes and does some crimes for Black Widow, catches Iron Man's attention. Um, he shoots Iron Man with some acidic... Um, arrows or something to start messing with his suit so he has to pull like a lot of his suit off and he runs off and throws his suit in the trash or something gets a new suit from the closet as a spare goes after hawkeye again um they fight hawkeye ends up falling in the water on a pier like the pier oh yeah iron man lands on the pier and it shatters underneath so hawkeye falls in the water iron man catches hawkeye um 
but Hawkeye wakes up and manages to get away. Um, something about their fight puts Black Widow in danger. And so Hawkeye's like, oh no, Black Widow's in danger. He runs off to save Black Widow and they get away, but Iron Man never knows that Black Widow is involved. Like he doesn't see Hawkeye and Black Widow get away. So he's like, huh, Hawkeye got away. I guess I'll catch him some other time. Was that a, was that a woman with him in, in, in the car? I don't know. So meanwhile, Tony Stark has lost pepper and happy and because he's like made them love each other and both kind of be upset at him and so he walks off into the sunset being all sad and depressed yep the end so aside from his incredibly weak motivation in this story i enjoyed it oh yeah the hawkeye's action was really great his look Mm -hmm. was cool yes his look is very cool uh i assume don heck designed it but i guess we don't know these things um it's pretty much his standard look, except his first appearances, he has blue a lot, whereas later it'll just be all purple, I think. Right, and I think that yellow strap over his chest will also be purple, won't it? Mm-hmm. Or is it I always he, yellow? I don't know. I think he's, yeah. But it's mostly how he looks, how I think of him anyway. Right. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. He he does have a pretty slim character, um, and it's a little bit of a mixed mixed. Not mixed bag, but just like mixed messages of is he a decent guy who's just, you know, kind of annoyed at the world or is he actually a criminal who would do crimes just because he loves a woman? You know, how does this guy land on the spectrum? So I my one of my my earliest issues that I had as a child was one of those solo Avengers titles, which I'm pretty sure is always Hawkeye and somebody else or something like that. Mm hmm. And it was Hawkeye. I don't even remember what the story was about, but it involved a flashback to his days with Trickshot, which was like this evil guy that taught him how to do arrows and stuff in the circus. So I always kind of assume like his first appearance is he was a bad guy. Um, and of course, he is Iron Man's uh, villain in this issue, but he's also handsome. So I assume they don't actually intend for him to be a bad guy. Because most of these other bad guys that have this exact same origin of, hey, I'm just going to slap stuff together and be as cool as Iron Man, but I'm going to rob banks. They're never handsome. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, he tries to stop this guy that's robbing the bank. Right. So he wasn't actually looking to be a bad guy. He was actually saying, hey, everybody was looking at Iron Man instead of me. I could be just as cool as Iron Man. I'll be a – he doesn't say superhero, but I think that's what he's trying for. Um, and then he just gets mixed up with Black Widow and for some reason has no qualms about attacking Iron Man for her. I feel like the writing of the script is just a little bit uneven in conveying that story because he mm-hmm. calls himself, you know, a, a new startling arch villain in his first page of a costume. Oh, does he actually say villain? I guess I missed yeah. that part. Yeah, page four um, at the bottom. Why couldn't, uh, let's see. No, no, he, okay, never, he doesn't, but the narration does. Okay. We're about to witness the creation of one of the most startling arch villains of all time. But he, he doesn't actually describe himself yeah, that way. He says, I'm the greatest marksman in the world has ever known, and yet they ignore me. Why couldn't I do all the things Iron Man can do? And Iron Man's a hero. All it takes is a lot of mechanical gimmicks and a colorful costume disguise. And I'll make a costume that no one will ever f- be able to forget. And then, you know, he's a good-looking, blonde, Steve Rogers kind of guy. And he goes out and he stops somebody from robbing a bank. So how is that villainy? Yeah. Yeah. But then, he, but then he's wrongfully framed because, like you said, the guy drops the jewelry and he swings down to, like, recover it. And then, of course, the cops show up right at that moment and think he did it. 
And, you know, Black Widow just says any man who could defeat Iron Man is a man I could learn to love. So maybe he doesn't actually see it as a criminal activity, but more of like a contest of skills and whatever. He just wants to beat Iron Man. Yeah. It's not illegal. to. Well, it is technically illegal to fight someone, but it's not like he's committing a crime against the world. You would think he'd know that Iron Man's a good guy, so then she would be suspect that she wants him to take out a good guy. But he just has the hots for her, I guess, and doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the part where it gets kind of weak for me. But We talked about how there are no new titles anytime soon. This is, of course, a new regular character. And we either have talked or will talk about an email that we got addressing this very point that even though there are no new titles coming up there are a lot of new featured characters and groups coming down the pike soon sure so this is this is one of those one good example of those this is our next avenger this is our next avenger you're right yeah in fact this is our last new avenger for a while see that what's you know like when we started reading avengers I think I made the comment like it's weird to read this in tandem with X-Men and Fantastic Four because I don't like the scenes where the Avengers just kind of go off and do their own things because they have their own books. Uh-huh. But Hawkeye's not going to have his own book. And He's not. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver aren't going to have their own books. And Captain America isn't going to have his own book. Well, he will. But he doesn't now. So eventually they're going to be more like a cohesive, we're a team, and this is the only place you can find us is in the Avengers. Because Iron Man and Thor and stuff will all leave. Right. Yeah. And so the Avengers becomes its own narrative and not just a reunion book. Mm-hmm. Um, so remember that issue that ended with Tony and Pepper strolling arm in arm into the moonlight and Happy was left changing a tire? Yeah. I, I wonder about the series of events that got us from there to here, where, like, Tony doesn't want to ask out Pepper and Pepper is, you know, scared to ask out Tony. And I don't know. It's just like. Tony's a little, um, I hate, I don't want to say a word that will offend people who have these actual afflictions. So I'll just say uh, uh, all over the place about Pepper, because on the one hand, even in that issue, you're citing, I think he at one point was reluctant. And then in the end, he's got her arm in arm and he's making, he, he actually like purposely hurt uh, happy because he was jealous. Remember, he like assigned him to some crap job oh, or something. Yeah, yeah. And then in this one, he's like, "I don't want to ask Pepper. Whoops, I accidentally asked her." He feels genuinely bad about Happy. He like calls out to him as Happy leaves, actually. But then in the middle, um, doesn't he say something like, "I'm, I'm, I'm just lying to myself. I totally want to hook up with her, and <laughs> you know, whatever." I don't, I can't remember where that is, but I know that's somewhere in here. Certainly, the sentiment is there. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's so into like asking her on a second date, he forgets to take his armor off. He's going to go walk right up to her with his chest plate on until the last minute on page eight. He goes, whoops. Oh, whoa. I can't let her see me like this. But he's like, I might as well be honest with myself. I'm not doing it only for her because he's like making some excuse like he better ask her out again because the circus got interrupted by Iron Man. Right. But he's like, I'm not just doing it for her. I'm doing it. I'm, I'd like to take her that fabulous female to all the best places to look into those gorgeous eyes of hers or whatever. So he's like, he's back and forth. Like on the one hand, he's going to die. Don't date her. And on the other, he does it anyway. Yeah. And that was part of the whole reason that she didn't like the circus. I mean, the, the Coney Island thing was not that great of a date anyway, but then he like bails on her and turns into Iron Man at this, in the middle right. of it all. Right. Um, yeah. Those gorgeous eyes, he describes them as limpid. Yeah, that doesn't sound romantic to me. No. 
It, it doesn't. It's it's a weird descriptor. Like technically, it does mean something flattering, but it's not actually a good sounding word. <laughs> uh. La- last time we saw Black Widow, she was scared of what the Iron Curtain government would do to her if they found her. And then the second story, she like did the mission for them that I guess got her back in their good graces because now she's got this like lavishly furnished estate with a subterranean laboratory. I guess she's got money. Yeah, because like even in that mission, they sent two goons to help her because they they were not convinced that she could pull it off. Right. And those goons ended up being what hurt her. Right, she was a lot better than they were. So maybe we can just assume that behind the scenes she's been working her way back into their good graces because that's kind of her superpower. Could be. Could be. But I'll tell you, I am ready for the female characters to stop asking out other men to make the man they like jealous. Yes. I thought you were going to say that... You're tired of Black Widow using men to do what she wants, but that actually works for her. Um, that works for her, and that's you know that's yeah. that's in keeping. And and Scarlett Johansson's character does the same thing. It's it's a fine um, using men for your own purposes is maybe not the most you know redeemable quality, but it's at least understandable and realistic. Um, this is just a trope that I'm already tired of. Like everybody dates everybody in these books, man. Like, well, that's why Aunt May telling Peter he should date Mary Jane didn't seem that weird to me because, like, dating yeah. is a lot more free in these stories. I guess, like, even even nerdy Peter, who everybody hates, has apparently been on dates with Liz at Liz some point. Liz Allen and Betty yeah. Brant, and now maybe Mary Jane in the future. Yeah, maybe if she whoever becomes she a character, is. whoever she right. is. But uh, yeah, like Happy says here in the beginning, we haven't been on a date in a few in a little while. But that means they they have been on dates, mm-hmm. even though Pepper is always saying how much she can't stand him. And we've seen so, a couple of those. They, I mean, the, but it's yeah. not been a thing. Yeah, so it's just weird. It's like I don't know. So at least there's some yeah, at least there's some reasonable motivation, but it's it's just bad. Um, Page 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Iron Man's first reaction. I, I'm, I'm being attacked with arrows? How could anyone <laughs> expect to stop me with some... Wait a minute. These uh-huh. are bad arrows. They're hurting my metal. Rusting action. Right. Yeah, that is cool. I also like that he, he uh, is very Batman about his armor and that he's like thought ahead and hidden parts of it or extra parts of it around his facility just in case. Right. This this toolbox is secretly an Iron Man armor station. Yeah. So he rips off the old rusty stuff that Hawkeye wrecked and like puts on good stuff and takes off. And he has a little S ring on, which uh-huh. is either super adorable or really egotistical. I'm not sure which. <laughs> maybe both. Yeah. Maybe if you're rich, <laughs> you have a family ring. I don't know. I've been watching Super Friends and Superman wears a ring. He wears this like blue square ring. That does nothing? Yeah, it's just his ring. It's just, it's the ring that Superman wears, and I don't know why. Oh man, I haven't yeah. seen that show in a long time. Well, you know, Superman read through. You got to be got to be completist. So I'm in 1973, which oh, means Superman. You add media too, huh? I do. I oh do. boy, I've seen all of the serials and the TV shows and the cartoons from the 60s before this. Wow. 
the there it, it's it's not always good <laughs> it's often it's often something i'm just kind of like okay well you know this is a superman story i want to know what's going on in superman's world so i'm gonna watch the cartoon all i and, remember about superpowers is for some reason green lantern would always create like a jeep if he wanted to get somewhere oh that's fun yeah he's not, he's not like, even in the first season it's like why aren't you just flying this is weird anyway um, can you imagine movie Iron Man flying around with his foot hanging out of his Iron Man leg? Because um, that's what he does here. He's like, my right boot is missing. I'll be too vulnerable without. I got to find it before Hawkeye finds me. And he's just like, he's, he's for a while there, he's just walking around with like his little foot sticking out. No, but then again, this armor works so differently than those movies. It's true. It's just, it's like all piecemeal and fabric for some reason it's, it's all light and and that too, easy, yeah. easy to put on now yeah you can hang it in your closet um getting towards the end of the story page 17 hawkeye's saving black widow is like she has to live she has to be mine she's the only one i've ever loved i know is, yeah is it love though is it love no. though, Hawkeye? that's called last hawkeye yeah he but does the- like the ladies though so this kind of is in character even though we've only got the one issue but yeah, this keeps on with him. Yeah. he uh, He's attracted to Scarlet Witch whenever she joins the team and never goes anywhere, but he likes her. I like that well, Iron Man, like, in the end, is kind of just like, okay, the arrow thing was fun for a little while, but I'm Iron Man and I just totally destroy you. <laughs> it's good. It's good. He's like, oh, you ropes? Okay, I'll break your ropes and I'm going to break your pier. And then that thing, a little post you hang on, I'm going to bend it in half and smack you into the water. Right, and then even even when he gets attacked from behind by an explosive arrow, it just bounces off his armor and hits Black Widow instead. At the end of the day, I am a walking tank, and you are a <laughs> dude who shoots arrows. Right. Uh, I, th- I thought it was interesting that Iron Man doesn't even know that Natasha is involved in the story. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder why they chose to do that, just to make keep him wondering. Yeah, I wonder how it's going to play into the next story where they because Iron Man does encounter Hawkeye two more times before Hawkeye becomes an Avenger. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Black Widow is in one or both of those. Okay. Because whenever Hawkeye does become an Avenger, Black Widow's status is a subplot with him. And she kind of continues on as a supporting character in Avengers for a while. Hmm. Anyways, let's see how all that plays out. Yeah. But yeah, good first appearance mean, of Hawkeye. You mean watch how that all plays out? Hey. So speaking of watching, we got the Tales of the Watcher with the Watcher's power. This is our penultimate Watcher story. Yeah. We have one more after this. The story plot is by Stan Lee. The script and art by Larry Lieber. Inking by George Bell and lettering by Art Simic. Boring ass credits. Yes. Goes with the story. Hey, so the Watcher is the most powerful being in the galaxy. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, But he can't do anything because, of course, you know, all he can do is watch. So these space pirates land on um, on a random planet or I don't think T-37X. Okay, T-37X. And the Watcher is just there. It's not his moon. This is just where the Watcher happens to be today watching stuff happen. So the um, pirates are like, sweet, we're going to build some weapons. We're going to shoot that world over there. We're going to aim our giant cannon at that planet and blow it up. And um, after they build their cannon, before they can fire it, the Watcher's like, 
I will stop you. And he melts their cannon and he turns them into negative beings. And they're like, we thought you couldn't interfere. And he's like, I can't interfere with anyone's culture or civilization, but you're going to shoot my planet. (laughs) It's not interfering if it's my planet. So I'm going to send you all off to a planet full of giant metal dinosaurs. (laughs) Which is where Thor sent the executioner and Baron Zemo. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, okay. Eh. Every time he interferes, there's a reason. Yeah. And at least this one is believable, but it's just like it's the 24th time that he's justified interfering. It would have been cooler if they made these stories like The Twilight Zone, where he's just the narrator. Well, that's what we had for a while. I don't think they were that much better. Does nothing? Yeah, that's true. He was like that before, and it wasn't cool, so never mind. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this whole interfering every story thing is kind of getting tired, too. Having him in the story, though, and like his lack of interference causes the twist or allows the twist to happen might be a little bit more interesting. Well, I mean, the best story was the one where that lizard guy ends up suffocating to death and dying. Yeah. Based on his inactivity. His skeleton is still lying there on the ground in the blue area of the moon. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Um, Is the watcher really the most powerful being in the galaxy? I've always assumed he was very powerful, but how would we know if he doesn't fight anybody or anything? True. Does he have just, like, god-level powers that he never does anything with? I always assumed so, but then we read these issues where he's just like a guy who from a technologically advanced society that travels around in lightning bolts, and then I wonder. Right. Although, But, like, usually he's one of the guys that's standing there amongst other big deities or whatever in the Marvel Universe. So I just assumed he was omnipotent or something. To be fair, I cannot travel around in lightning bolts, so that is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. He doesn't do anything, so you can't, you can't figure what yeah. his powers are. Could he take on Galactus? I have no idea. But he does. So. Well, there you go. Well, there's only one more Watcher story called "The Watcher Must Die." So that would oh, be fun. That would be a really good last story. <laughs> but before that, we have, of course, our other comics to cover tonight. We have. Oh man. I left that page to look up Solo Avengers. Uh, we have, we have, we have. What do we have? Strange Tales. Strange Tales. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Number 74. You sure about that? No, 124. <laughs> <laughs> What's 74? Anyway. No, We never talked about Strange Tales 74. That was back in the okay. olden days. It's called The Human Torch and the Thing Team Up to Battle the Menace of Paste hyphen Pot Pete. And really boring letters or credits. It's written by Stan. Oh, no. Written by Smiling Stanley, illustrated by Darlin Dig Ayers, inked by Peerless P. Reinman, and lettered by Adorable Art Simic. Um, oh, boy. This one's fun, guys. Uh, Thing goes to Human Torch and Invisible Girl's house, because as we recall, for some reason, only in this title do they live in this house together. And he rings the bell and. Immediately, there's no answer, so he decides to just lift the house up to let himself in. That annoys Human Torch or Johnny, so they get into a thing Human Torch fight for a little bite, a little while, um, only to find out the thing is there because he wants to let Johnny know that his nemesis, Pastepot Pete, has been sprung from jail. Um, meanwhile, 
speaking of, Pacepot Pete is actually watching all this. Um, and he doesn't want to attack yet, but he wants to attack, just not yet, because that's Human Torture's home base, so he has the advantage, blah, blah, blah. But then we go back to his secret laboratory. Pacepot Pete has an upgrade. Last time we saw him, he was like a beret-wearing guy with an overall, overalls and like a gun that was attached to a bucket full of paste. Now he's got a bulletproof chest blade. He's got awesome, uh, you know, gloves and boots that have paste sticky stuff in them. He's got a uh, gun that also is still tethered, but instead of to a bucket of paste, it's to his chest. He actually kind of looks like a lame uh, Lex Luthor. Armored yeah. Lex Luthor, purple and green, that suit that Lex always used to wear in the in the 80s or whatever. Um, anyway, so that was a flashback. He's still watching them. He watches as Johnny leaves to go on a date. Uh, ben gets back into his quarter of the fantastic car to fly away. Pace Pot Pete uh, sticks to that and hitches a ride. The thing kind of notices the weight shift, sees Pace Pot. They get in a fight. The fantastic car flips over. There's no seatbelt, so... The thing starts to fall. Just as he's about to die, Pace Pot Pete catches him with some glue and takes him back to his lair with the idea that he is going to get Human Torch to show up and he's going to spring a trap on him. But little does he know that if someone else is riding or driving the Fantastic Car and they're not wearing their special decoder rings then that automatically alerts other members of the Fantastic Four. So Johnny, while bowling with Doris... His decoder ring that we've never heard of before uh, flashes and tells him that someone's kidnapped the thing. So he goes and tracks down the source. He busts through the door. The thing has been paste potted to a wall by, you know, his wrists. And Human Torch is like, and he's like, oh, I can't break this glue. And the Human Torch is like, uh, can you break the wall because you're the thing? He's like, oh, yeah, I could probably do that. So he breaks the wall. Now he's got two big chunks of wall on his arm, essentially. And he goes after Pace Pot. That freaks him out. Pace Pot, like, tries to douse him with glue, but he's strong enough to, like, muscle through it and keep walking. He sort of positions Pace Pot to this spot where the Human Torch, who also has his arms pinned by Pace Pot Pete glue, can still shoot. So he shoots and he hits Pace Pot Pete's uh, gun hose. So now it's disconnected. No more glue. Uh, the thing jumps up and, oh, I forgot. He is using his sticky boots to like hang upside down on the wall like a dork. So the thing jumps up and pulls the ceiling down. And he's like, I'm the thing and I'm going to totally kill you. At which point Pace Pot Pete kind of like pees his pants and surrenders. Basically. Um, and. And he, uh, you know, helps them dissolve the glue. They take him back to custody. Human Torch goes back to Doris, who's mad that he left her at the bowling alley. But he explains that he had to save the thing. And she's like, oh, that's probably important that you save your friend's life. The end. Yeah. Yeah. So this is officially a Torch Thing team-up series now. Oh, and that is what it says on the last page. Something like, forever and ever, amen. They are now together forever. Right. And that's how the series is going to live out its last year as a torch thing team up book so is that because the torch just ain't selling or what um i i I don't know how well it's selling or not selling but maybe they're just running out of ideas yeah i imagine the popularity of the fantastic four part of that is their their um, budding heads all the time Mm -hmm. so why not put them in a book together 
yeah, why not bring that dynamic over? Or if mm-hmm. not running out of ideas, just like thinking this would be a cool dynamic to bring in. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, but it is an interesting <laughs> idea. It could have been. <laughs> it could have been. I could tell you already it's not. We've only read one, but. Well, at least now there's some like, you know, silly bantery dialogue as we go through the story to make it slightly more interesting. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see the reference to the Avengers number six on page three. <gasps> yes, that was I really cool. I just heard cool. that your old enemy paste pot Pete was paroled from prison last month on account of doing you a favor for the Avengers. Now, this is kind of. I mean, I guess it's not weird to warn him, but I hope they're not planning to go after him because if he got out of jail, you know, legally, he's not a villain anymore. Right. But uh, they don't go after him. So I guess we won't know. Well, yeah, because the torch is like, yes. So so what? I mean, I heard about that. Yeah. Have anything to do with me. So I got a date. Right. Maybe thing is just, you know, he's read too many comic books. So he knows that escaped villains are going to re-villain again. Mm -hmm. But. But we've already learned that lesson in Spider-Man. You don't you don't just go after the bad guy just because they're out of jail now. Yeah. So yeah, Pacepot Pete's new look yeah. is better. Yeah, but weird. The, the boxy vest is still questionable, and he says people used to call you a bumbling cl- clown. Yeah, people are still going to call you a bumbling clown. I'm sorry. And he's oddly skinny, and I don't know why. Like a little cinched waist underneath the armor. Like, his legs and arms seem really thin to me in this outfit. Maybe he's just not a muscular guy, I guess, but... Yeah, maybe. He's like, and I shaved my goatee so no one will recognize me. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) He should have kept the goatee. It was cooler. Anyway. Wear some glasses, too, while you're at it. Yeah. Uh, But mostly his power is the same, so I guess he just doesn't need the bucket anymore, which is a good thing. I guess I guess like his entire vest is a like like his chest is surrounded with a glue tank now. That's gonna yeah. be heavy. I mean, he's still Spider Man essentially. He is still cheap. <laughs> I hate hate that that ever occurred to us. That's why I had to bring it up again. Yes, uh, he's essentially just twipping around this entire book. Oh my god, Pete, <laughs> Peter Parker. Yes, uh, paste pot Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, okay, so page five, um, Ben says, I've got nothing to do today. Alicia's at the beauty parlor, which is like a rose going to perfume factory. Maybe I'll fly over Yancey Street and give the natives a thrill. Yeah. And I'm thinking, be careful, Ben. You don't know what kind of criminal mastermind might be behind <laughs> Yancey Street. I know. They took out the entire Fantastic Four last time. Right? It all started on Yancey Street. Uh, uh, what a horrible day to be Yancey Street. Yeah. Or a red ghost. Ugh. But yeah, um, I don't have a lot to say about this issue <laughs> or this yeah, story. The Torch is kind of a backseat character in this. I mean, they really play up the thing's co-star role. They do. Yeah, he's the one who ends up defeating Pete mostly. Mm-hmm. I did think it was funny. Like I was actually thinking, like, why can't the thing just break that wall? And then it turned out they were thinking the same thing. Because so that was good. This is the most blatant example of Dory getting mad at Johnny going off to be the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more just the timing of it. Like, they're together having a good time, and she's, he's getting called away. And she doesn't realize the importance of it. She says again, too, which makes it seem like this happens a lot. Yeah. Or at least this happened before. But you would think it would be important every time. So why doesn't she get that? I don't know. She's a kid. That, yeah, that's understandable. She should maybe have some understanding. I mean... Once she realizes that he was saving, what she doesn't want is him to just go off showboating for the sake of showboating. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe we're to understand that sometimes Johnny Storm just has a bit too much fun being the torch and it's not exactly mature oh. about it. Yeah, I could believe that. Especially here. I feel like it's a different torch than Fantastic Four torch. But yeah, it's kind of funny because we stereotype Johnny as like the young guy, hothead guy. And I think that's more established in his own solo series than in the team book. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, there are other later incarnations of Fantastic Four that play that up. But in these early, early books, other than like antagonizing Ben, he's not really the hothead of the team. No, Ben is. Yeah. If anything. Ben is definitely the fly off the handle character. Yeah. But Johnny is just a bit young, a bit playful sometimes. Um, um, go ahead. Pacepot Pete on page 10 says, now that we're one big happy family again, I'll give you a sample of the new asbestos paste. I've oh, been God. saving just for you, Torch. And I've decided we need different colors of asbestos. We need red asbestos that will have unpredictable glue <laughs> effects on fire. We need white asbestos that only puts out plant fires. You know, just yeah. all these different kinds of asbestoses. I agree. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Is is fire generally known to like uh, 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 dissolve glue that's undissolvable? Like, why does it need to be asbestos paste? Because regular paste wouldn't work on this guy. Yeah, I I guess I don't know. Okay. I, mean, I would think that glue is essentially rubber, right? Yeah, or, or some organic know. substance that dries and and causes adhesion. I think that fire would burn through most of that stuff. Okay. Well, they didn't try that in the Avengers. No. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> so so Zemo goes through 20 years <laughs> with his hood glued to his face because he's never tried to burn it off. Yeah. Although, exactly. You know, that might not be great either. Probably, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is up with Pacepot Pete walking on the ceiling? Because they never explain this. No, they do. Because when they go through his new arsenal, one of the things is he's got... Uh, paste holes on his boots that allow him to cling to the surface oh really like back when he's looking at his new toys uh-huh which i oh. thought was insane because like can't you come up with a suction cup boot instead of paste holes in your boots meaning you let glue ooze out of your feet to stick to things okay spider-man gosh dang and it. also and if he does it like how does he dissolve it isn't he just stuck there also oh i don't know That's that was just silly like, they're really wanting him to stick with this paste motif. Well, but we got to keep love our brand going, right? Yeah. I love that the thing, like, once he gets the other hand, upper hand, just scares the, the wits out of him, though. It's good. Yeah. And I was happy to see Dory kind of turn around at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, we, don't, uh, we don't need the girlfriends to always be, like, bitter shrewds who give the heroes a hard time. Yeah, because people aren't like that. And it, no. it, it's it's to have that be your only note or your most common note is is misogynistic writing. Yeah. I mean, to have the occasional woman get upset for valid reasons is reasonable and understandable. To have women getting upset because your male characters are too awesome and they don't like the awesomeness, that's, that's, not, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, just like a thorn in their side 24-7. Yeah. That's annoying. That's why Betty and Peter need a win. Dang it. They do. Okay. They need a win. All right. All right. You want to move on to uh, another winner? Yeah. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. Okay. The Mystery of the Lady from Nowhere, which is a fantastic title, I think. All right. Mm-hmm. Written inside a haunted house by Stan Lee. Illustrated inside a gypsy's tent by Steve Ditko. That's offensive. Inked inside a hidden cave by G. Bell. Lettered inside because it was raining outside. 
by S. Rosen. All right. So we start this story, I guess, when he has nothing else to do. His form of exercise is to float around the city in ectoplasmic form, which might sound silly, but think about it. If you could do that, wouldn't you do that? I would totally do that. So he's floating around New York. And all of a sudden, there's this weird green mist. So he goes to investigate because that's his job. And out of the green mist comes this woman robed in red. And, like, she's got, like, her face kind of obscure and she can't seem to speak. It's almost as if she's not even kind of really there. But she is there. And so he uses his power as best he can to guide her to his home so he could, like, investigate her further. Or she cooperates. I can't really figure out because she can't speak. And he uses the eye in his amulet to figure out who she is. He finds out that she's from the past. So again, with the ectoplasmic form, he immediately transports to visit his elder master, the ancient one. And he asks the ancient one, Hey, can you send me back in time so I can investigate what's going on with this lady? And the ancient one has a cool candle that if he lights it, it sends Dr. Strange back in time. The only problem is if you don't come back to your present, before this candle runs out, you're stuck forever. So hurry up with this. And the Green so, Ranger will die. And the Green Ranger will die. So Doctor Strange goes back in time, and there's this guy, and his name is Zota. Okay? He's really weird looking, bald with a big purple egg on his head for some reason. Um, and there's this heroic blonde looking dude that's like, you won't get away with this. But we don't know who that guy is or what he's getting away with. And Zota... Uh, evilly says like, yes, I will, for I have a magic mirror. And just then, Doctor Strange comes out of the magic mirror. But Zoda immediately like traps him because the mirror can like emit this light that's like a prison. So Doctor Strange is stuck. Meanwhile, don't forget that candle. It's burning down. Uh, Doctor Strange doesn't stay stuck for long, though, because he uses his magic to make a nearby cauldron like smoke really bad. And that of course blocks the light. So then he gets out and he immediately goes to town on the Zoda guy. Apparently he's so much more powerful than Zoda that he can just strip Zoda of his, what little magic he has making him pointless. He then goes back into the mirror to return to his present. But of course the candle runs out before he makes it. Um, so from his point of view, he's like traveling in the darkness and there's like this light path to get him back to his present. And that light path is slowly disappearing and ultimately does disappear. And now he's like underwater in the ocean. Essentially, you can't figure out which end is up or where to go. So with all his willpower that no human being could ever will, except for Dr. Strange, he manages to get his, the eye on his amulet to open just enough to, uh, make a light that guides him back to the present and his ectoplasm form shows back up in the ancient one's uh, uh, castle all exhausted. And, Oh man, I almost died. And the ancient one's like, Oh, I'm so glad you didn't die because I am so old. I have no time to train anybody else. I was really freaking out there for a second. Um, Then Dr. Strange returns to his body back home. He casts a spell to send the woman back. And as she's on her way back, he reveals to us, the audience that she is really, Cleopatra, who he sends back to Tales of Suspense number 44 to play with Iron Man, which we covered in episode 25, if anybody's interested. And yes, Sweet. I wrote yes, I wrote both those things down because <laughs> there's no way I'd remember that. Need I say I looked it up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So Doctor Strange is, of course, portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Buffalo Custard Bath. Right. And, um, you know, I was I was pretty nonplussed by this. Mm-hmm. When I saw the woman, I thought that this might be finally where we meet Clea. Uh-huh. But no. No, it's a really cool title, but not much happens, I guess. Yeah. And it, and mean, it, it really breaks the rules of time travel, too, which is annoying. In what way? Well, I mean, if you send someone back in time and you light a candle and they're going to come back to the present, they should be coming back immediately. Whether they've spent hours doing something in 1975 is irrelevant to when they come back, right? Right. So as soon as he lights that candle, I'm back. But instead, in real time for both sides, this candle melts. Kang has this problem, too. Whenever he gets beaten by the Avengers, he waits for the next opportunity to go after the Avengers. And he's like, you're the Lord of time. You should never have to wait for anything. Yeah. Right. So, so they're, this, not, uh, they're not thinking se- fourth dimensionally. <laughs> no, they're not. There's this saying in Legion of uh, Superheroes fandom that Silver Age comics writers think of the future as a place rather than as a time mechanic. So right. when, you're, when you're time traveling, it's like going to another place. There's no like temporal convenience or any of the stuff that would associate with time travel. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I've heard people complain that Dr. Strange stories pull plot resolutions out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like there are no rules. And That's a magic general, thing. Yeah. I, I disagree in general because I feel like magic does have some consistencies to it within a particular story. Mm. But I do feel like this story is an example of the ending just being pulled out of nowhere. Yeah, it's very dramatic because Ditko is good at drawing and whoever's writing these captions are good at making it sound really important and stuff. But it's just like, yeah, my eye can open up and... It's a flashlight now. It's a flashlight. It's a flashlight for time travel. And I, is it like a rule that you can't time travel yourself because he sends her back in time in the end, but he can't send himself back in time in the beginning? Yeah, it was the candle, some sort of like tether that like drew him back to the present, but then that he didn't need that to send her, like you said. Oh, because she's not from the present, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. And her being Cleopatra is just so random. It is. Right. Yeah, that meant nothing to the story. I, it, nothing at all. It was just, oh, okay, she's Cleopatra. Well... Probably because Cleopatra is still pretty popular at this point. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it hasn't actually been that long since the movie. Maybe uh-huh. a year. Yeah. So. So it's all kids know is, hey, some girl from the past must be Cleopatra. Must be Cleopatra. Must be Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> Not Queen Elizabeth I or anything weird like that. No. Yeah. And the guy was just not fleshed out at all. You know, Zoda, we have no idea what he was Trying to do, oh, she scorned him or something. So he's going to send her to the future because that won't affect him, I guess. We don't know who yeah. the blonde dude is. We don't know how Doctor Strange just sucks him of his power or where he got the mirror or anything. I didn't even look up to see if Zoda comes back again because I didn't care. Because he's <laughs> he's normal now. So what's the point? Yeah, that's true. I am just going to, for grins and giggles, look up to see if he does have another appearance. Uh, hmm. <laughs> He has a previously on appearance. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme 33 has an appearance of him that takes place before this story. But there's a lot of random people in that issue. So um, it might be just like a history of Doctor Strange story. I have four appearances. 
and two of them are handbooks. So yeah. Yeah. That's it. He made it into handbooks. Wow. Anyway. Um, I just looked up Cleopatra. She actually appears like a half dozen times in comics. That's funny. So uh, she's also in that Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme issue. And she's in three issues of Venus. I don't know if Venus is uh, – it's it's listed after – well, I guess it has to be after these. But it's listed uh, – I think that might be an Atlas title. Mm. I don't know. Anyways, does that take us to our next comic? Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four 30, which is our wow. last of our comics for this episode. 30 issues. 30 issues we've covered. This is the end of the first Omnibus volume. Hmm. So, um, we've covered an omnibus. Yeah, we've covered a whole omnibus. Wow. 30 issues from now. I mean, we will have covered some pretty epic Fantastic Four. And theoretically, since they're not adding new titles, we could do it in the same amount of time that we did this one. Theoretically. Except the first few issues of Fantastic Four had no competition. That's true. We went through the Fantastic Four pretty quickly, those first few issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 30 issues from now, we will have met. The Black Panther, the Inhumans, Galactus. Wow. Yeah. Lots of stuff in the next 30. Anyways, um, okay. Will the mysterious Diablo finally be the villain who succeeds in breaking up the fabulous FF? No. Spoilers. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We open with uh, credits written by Stan Lee, a rather nice writer. Drawn by Jack Kirby, a quite noteworthy artist. Inked by Sheik Stone, a somewhat nifty inker. Lettered by Art Simic, an occasionally neat letterer. He's always neat. He is. Artie, you're so neat. Okay, so the Fantastic Four are on vacation. And they're traipsing <laughs> through, like, some forest. Where are and, they? Where are they? Um, Where are they? I think they're in Transylvania. Oh, that's right. They are in Transylvania. Because that's where you vacation, right? Yeah. Hey, I want to go vacation in Transylvania. So, which Transylvania is, you know, it's Eastern Europe. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's fine. No offense to our Transylvanian listeners, but I don't know. Not my first sa- choice. This sounds like a Reed Richards idea. Yes. He, he's, he really wants Marvel Horror to start up. He's like six years too early. But um, he wants to prove that ghosts are just science. So they get lost Uh (laughs) Yeah, in in the woods and they finally stumble across a castle and he's like, hey, check out this castle. So they go to the castle and they're like, you know, checking out the the castle. And meanwhile, um, there's this voice that cries out this this old guy with a gun and some friends and some dogs like big mastiff dogs. Hey, we wanted to find you before it was too late. Do not go into Diablo's castle. He's like, huh, okay. Instead, you should come hang out with us. Spend the night at my place. Have some drinks, watch some Netflix. It'd be great. So they go back to his place, and uh, they get some pretty pretty swank places to sleep. And that night, Thing hears a call. Not the call of nature, but the call, come to me. Come to me. It's like like Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. Only it's not Dracula, it's Diablo. The thing follows the voice to the castle, and in the castle he finds this door, and the door is held fast by this really heavy turn. He opens the, the door, and out explodes Diablo 
After 10,000 years, I'm free! Um, time to conquer Earth! It's been a while. I don't know how long he says it is. Decades, centuries, millennia, I don't know. Um, meanwhile, the Fantastic Four, they wake up the next morning and Thing's not there. It's like, huh, where'd Thing go? Oh, look, there's this, like, big trail through the forest of crashed, knocked-down trees. Let's, uh, let's go that way. And, oh, it's the castle. And look at this door that's been torn open. Oh, look at this place that's been blown up like somebody exploded out of it. Who is it? What could it be? <gasps> hey, look, it's the Thing with some weird-looking guy, Diablo. Is that the Thing? Because the Thing is still orange. But instead of, like, being made of orange rocks... He's like made of orange scales. So he's like got smooth skin now. Like he's been using a lot of baby lotion or something. Anyways, so um, Diablo's like, yep, I did that. And I'm going to give him this other half of the mixture. And it's going to make him back to normal permanently. And Reed Richards is like, "Uh, yeah, you can't do that because he's our friend. It's my job to, you know, not cure him. And Ben is legitimately thankful for Diablo curing him. And he's like, Reed, you can't mess this up for me. And they actually get into a fight over this. And I'm pretty sure that Ben is sincerely fighting them because he's devoted to Diablo. Because Diablo's going to make him normal. And then he can marry Alicia. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Fantastic Four leave. And they just, they're just hanging out in Transylvania for a while. While Diablo builds up a name for himself across the world. He comes up with all these formulas and these gadgets and these... Um, chemicals that like make people young, make bulletproof shields, uh, make crops grow, all this stuff. And Diablo's raking in the money for selling all of this stuff. Meanwhile, the Fantastic Three are still chilling out with Transylvanian dude with the mustache in his house. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, Diablo is totally not chill. We need to take care of him. He was cursed and imprisoned years ago. And now he's free and we got to stop him. So um, Diablo and Ben are talking and Diablo's like, oh, um, here's your potion to keep your um, condition from turning back to normal or to, to, to help you get better or something. The thing takes the potion and walks into the bedroom and sees himself in the mirror. And his permanent change is not so permanent. He's the thing again. Which means this potion is just like a temporary thing that will wear off if he doesn't keep on taking it. Which is not what Diablo told him it was. So he gets mad. Tries to attack Diablo. Diablo sends a, f- uh, a potion at his, at his feet that makes all these fumes that knock out the thing. And um, yeah. So all this stuff that Diablo's been selling to the world starts failing. Like the crops die. The bulletproof shield uh, cracks. The... The miracle youth causes people to age and stuff like that. So the whole world is like, you know what? We have to go attack Diablo. He's a lying liar pants and we should stop him. So the Fantastic Four attack. And meanwhile, Diablo has all these weapons because he got some money, bought some weapons. He starts shooting the Fantastic Four and there's a fight. And it's fighting McFightenstein for about six or seven pages. Um, He captures all the Fantastic Four. Diablo wins. And puts all the Fantastic Four in these glass tubes. But the thing wakes up. And he manages to break through the unbreakable glass. And Diablo's like, oh my gosh, how did you break through my unbreakable glass? I thought I potioned it. And the thing um, fights Diablo, saves his friends. Uh, they are able to wake up and get out of the the, the castle. He, the thing puts Diablo back in a prison. The castle starts to collapse. 
the Fantastic Four are like, let's get out of here. And they get lost in the woods at the end because they don't know how to find their way out. And it's right back where the story started. It was all a dream. It wasn't really all a dream, but yeah. So for you Batman fans out there, there's this issue, uh, Detective Comics number 37. And the way it starts is a splash page and it says some caption like, Our awesome, amazing, intelligent, heroic hero gets lost driving in the woods. And then Pretty he's great. like, and then he pulls over and goes, I'm going to ask this house for directions. And then, of course, in the house is shenanigans. And that's how the whole plot starts. So that kind of reminded me of this issue because they're just like lost in the woods. That's really heroic. Now, let's be honest, Mike. They are bat shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. That's just not a great way to introduce the story is have our heroes just wandering around lost. I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, that's um, all right. It's... It's it's weird that they're wearing their costumes on vacation. Yeah. Except that their costumes are unstable molecules, so maybe they're just like easy for them to wear all the time. Could be. Once they got lost, they just discarded their outer outfits and got serious. Right. Now so, there's this pile of clothes in the woods. So I thought, not to skip ahead, but I thought when I first read this that the thing was under a spell. And then as you summarized it, I started to realize that, no, he is not under a spell. I had the exact same thought. Reed thinks he's under a spell. Yes. But Ben seems pretty sincere about the whole thing. I mean, there's the business where he gets called, but that doesn't mean he's mm-hmm. under a spell. That means some guy was able to communicate with him and he went right. to investigate. But that's it. it. Yep. Wow. He turned there's on never his people. A, yeah. Again, the thing is the thing is a reckless dude. Yeah, and he's all over the place as to whether he likes being the thing or not these days. I honestly believe that. Because, I mean, it's just it's just like a put yourself in his shoes kind of thing. Even though you might convince yourself to be okay with it, yeah. you're probably never going to be okay with it. That's true. You could change your mind. Be happy one day and the next day you can't figure out how to use a fork with three rock fingers and get annoyed. Right. Coping with it and, and secretly wishing you were back to normal are two different things. Right. Um, I'm going to use Reed's excuse. Next time I get lost, he says, I could swear that the forest is growing up around us like it's a trap to keep us here. Yeah. Now, I've never gotten lost because I live in a world of Google Maps, but um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of the standard uh, horror story where there's the locals who know everything that's going on and there's this evil thing that's been trapped for thousands of years and we're pretty sure he's still alive in there. Don't go in there. The The... Up to the actual Diablo story, there are lots of Dracula tropes. Yes. Right down lots to the handlebar of- mustache. Yep. On the main guy. And the, the main guy who, like, you know, welcomes them and gives them all the warnings is Baron Hugo. So we have another Baron mm-hmm. that's not Zemo. No, but it seems like if you're in any other international, you know, country or whatever, it's all about the Barons for some reason. Right. I feel like on page six, when Diablo is talking to the Fantastic Four... He's trying to sound convincing. Don't forget my impetuous intruders. The thing is now in my debt. Only I've been able to improve his appearance um, permanently. Yeah, I, I did it permanently. <laughs> By the way, is that an improvement? Because he looks freaking creepy to me. Yeah. I think that's I don't worse. Know. I think what they're trying to convey is that he looks like a person with orange skin rather than an orange rocky monster. Yeah. But it's... it's ugh. He looks like Mr. Clean with the thing skin and three fingers. Right. Anyway, yeah, kind of weird. So, um, 
when the thing starts working for Diablo, does he um does he become a slave driver? Yes. Page eight. It looks yeah. like he's a slave driver. Yeah, he is because that's another reason why I thought he must be possessed. Because that's not the thing. Why would the thing put yeah. up with that? So crazy. Yeah, I they're think all, this is a. They're all saying like we dare not falter in our task because the thing is watching us and he'll kill us. So wow, that's weird. Yeah, I don't think I like that characterization of him. So speaking of all this part right here, how long were the Fantastic Four waiting around for him to come to his senses? Because it seems like this would all take three to five years. Yeah, like at least weeks. Yeah, because they build a fortress in the time that the thing is working for Diablo. Yeah. So um, the FF have been living in Transylvania without Ben for a long time. Well, and they waited for the UN to come to a conclusion on whether he's a villain or not. So that alone should take 20 years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it was um, the time was a little weird, but oh, well, let's see. Difference between Strange Tales and the Fantastic Four is that Susan is here to stop the torch from getting hosed down. In page 13, she can stop him from getting hosed down, whereas in Strange Tales, that's how you stop him. He always gets hosed down multiple times. Susan, I'll say this for the story. Susan kicks some butt in this one. Susan is pretty effective in this. She turns invisible. She stops him from stopping the torch by, you know, pushing the soldiers around. And then she turns Diablo invisible, which is a great strategic move because all his troops are coming up to get their next orders. They don't see Diablo. They practically run him over. He can do nothing about it because he's stuck being invisible. And so he has to run away. I don't know. I thought that was all pretty neat. Yeah, because normally I would think that turning your enemy invisible would be, would be like detrimental, but it actually works out pretty well here. Yeah. And she doesn't have a lot to do in the drama parts of the story, but she's a really good part of the action. Yeah, she's like their super ninja again, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a lot else to say. The thing breaks out of the unbreakable glass because his unbreakable solution wore off too soon. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you know that it's not going to imprison these guys forever and you're putting them in there anyway to be imprisoned forever, it seems like there's a problem with your plan. Yeah, he fr- he tricked himself into believing his own hype. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it is. I am Diablo. <laughs> He forgot that his stuff wears off, and that's why he's not cool. Um, so the thing is the one who knocks the castle down on accident. I kind of liked that part, too, because there's like this big castle plug that keeps him in the basement, essentially, which is what mm-hmm. the thing uncorked in the first place. But he pushes the plug back in so hard that it accidentally knocks the castle over. So whoops. That is fun. I like that. Yeah. It's only been around for far four or 500 years. No big deal. There is one thing that Diablo made that was permanent. Oh, yeah? His immortality serum. Hey, good point. I mean, he's stayed alive in prison for... Okay, how long has he been in prison? Because whenever he breaks out, he says decades. But I really thought it was like centuries. I thought the guy said in the beginning, like... uh, I can't find it now. Oh, sealed him in the castle 100 years ago. Okay, so just 100 years ago. That is decades. All right. Wow. I don't know if I'd describe 100 as decades, but... But not centuries, plural. No, not centuries. Yeah. Decades to me sound like, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 30. But yeah, 100 is a long time. And I don't know. I guess he just has a kitchen and stuff in there and he's fine. Well, he's immortal. So, I mean, I guess he's just going to be hungry for a long time. Yeah, I guess so. 
He's not going to die of hunger because he can't die. It's funny. The UN wants him arrested and said they just sealed him in the basement again like a monster and leave him. That it's that seems a little inhumane, right? <laughs> right. It's like, eh, stay in there, you vampire. That's not really a vampire. Instead of us digging you out because we have the thing here and we could just actually take you to prison. Oh, well. All right. Well, I think I don't have a whole lot else to say about this particular issue. It's one of our shortest Fantastic Four coverages. No, yeah. I I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the FF have not been that fun lately for some reason. Is that just not true? Let me see. Yeah, the Yancey Street, boring. Uh, X-Men crossover was kind of fun. I guess there was the Avengers crossover too, but yeah, I don't know. They used to be hitting it out of the park and now they're kind of not. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going through a little bit of a slump before we start to get to some pretty, I mean, there will be some really great stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, I'm looking at, when is, okay, 35 is the Calamity on Campus Return of the Dragon Man, which leads us into 36, which is the Frightful Four, oh, which cool. leads us into a saga. Awesome. So th- 35, I think, is where the sweet spot of the Fantastic Four that lasts a good 20 to 30 issues awesome. is going to start up. Cool. Get them back as the flagship title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of flagship titles and stuff that's coming down the pike, what have we got next episode, Mike? Uh, we are only going to cover two books, but they're two bigger books because they're both annuals. We're going to do... Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1 that also came out this month, and that'll wrap up this month's coverage. And then we're going to do the Fantastic Four Annual Number 2 featuring Doctor Doom. Which are both pretty stellar comics. Yeah. I mean, I love that Amazing Spider-Man Annual. I've I've read it a lot of times. And the Fantastic Four Annual, I've only read a couple or three times, but it's when Doctor Doom's identity really gets fleshed out for the first time. Really looking forward to those books. Oh, and Amazing Spider-Man Annual is the first appearance of the Sinister Six, so... Yeah, There we go. Starting that tradition. Yep. All the, all the heroes are getting their villainous groups going. Like, that's their new idea, I guess. Mm-hmm. We gotta have some villain groups. So, I'm gonna uh, shout out some names from the Twitters. People okay. who've been liking, following, all that other good stuff. We have a uh, Bilal Larby at Antoine Muller one. We have Tech Furtado at Furtado Tech. We have TRS Carnage at Max Carnage HS. He's a spider friend and the um, creator of at Team Rank Star. We have Andrew at Old Desert Hymnal. We have the Cactus Kid at Doc underscore Masters exploring the old west of the Marvel Universe. We have Space Dandy at Space Dandy twenty seven. If you unfollow, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. We have DCPSAs. I think that's the DC Public Service Announcements. Back okay. to the days when comic books weren't afraid to teach you stuff. Ah. The spider is at the underscore spider with a three R. We have the Phantom Zone podcast, but Phantom like fan, F-A-N, at Phantom Zone pod. It's a comedy comic book podcast where three fans discuss, review, and argue endlessly while indulging in all things comics. We have Adelan Rising at Adelan Rising 1. We are a podcast talking about Marvel's Inhumans. I wonder if they're an index show, if they're doing Inhumans from the beginning. I need to look them up because 
my own read through has gotten through the first few Inhuman stories, mm-hmm. and I'm always looking for podcasts to take while I'm doing my read throughs and watch through stuffs. That way, it slows it up a lot more. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> I can always make my podcast listening go more slowly. Yeah. Um, Chris Cozy at K underscore Cozy. We have Daniel Ulrich at DS Uno 1971. Jesper D. Gunst at Jesper Gunst. Dorky Geeky Nerdy Trivia Podcast at Dorky underscore Nerdy. It's a podcast trivia for dorks, geeks, and nerds with weekly episodes. And finally, Russell Gibson at Russell with a bunch of numbers. So thank you very much for um, following us over on the Twitters. We always appreciate uh, retweets of episodes and uh, talking us up and anything else you want to say. Oh, and while we've been recording, we got another follower. Oh. Delightful Comics. At Delightful Comic. DC and Marvel fans unite with delight. Delightful Comics is created by Dominic Viscount. Vicount. I'm not sure. Um, Unite with delight. I like that slogan. It sounds like, you know, like you actually want to like the stuff that you like instead of just bashing on it all the time, which seems to be something that fans like to do. Yes. You know what's um, funny? As I just looked up randomly the DS Uno 1971 Dan Ulrich mm -hmm. account, and he posted a picture of Fantastic Four number 194, doomed by Diablo. (gasps) So that's random, but connected. That's a random coincidence there. Yeah. And I um, want to extend thank yous for uh, liking us over on the Facebooks to Chris Ashmore, Lawrence Shields, Maxwell Miles Candlin, and Keith Day Lamarter. Um, where uh, where can they find us, Mike? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. There you're going to find all the links to our social media that we were just thanking, like, fan- like Fantastic. Like Fantastic Facebook or Incredible Twitter. Um. That's too early. How about amazing Twitter? And uh, 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 there's also links to iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all the fun ways you can uh, play our podcast. Or you could just open up any podcast app, theoretically, and just search Make Arts Marvel, the title of our show. And last but not least, you can message us through our website with the contact form, or you could write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I do lots of other stuff besides this show, although this show is um, where a lot of my heart resides. Um, you can find me talking about Image Comics at All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches. You can find me and my son talking not only about, but talking over um, some Super Sentai episodes at Silly Sentai, which is a Super Silly Sentai podcast. You can find me tweeting about Scarlet Witch. Whenever I read a Scarlet Witch comic for this show, I tweet my Scarlet Witch thoughts. That's at It's Wanda Time. It's an intermittent thing because I'm only reading comics every now and then. Um, But it is there. And you can also um, know that I have another podcast that I'll be announcing soon, which I'll be producing this summer because, you know, that's what summers are for. So the Sonic the Hedgehog podcast. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer dropped today. Yes. <laughs> um I think it looks fun. Sure. I mean, the internet is always going to be the oh, internet about it. No kidding, man. Gosh. But I I I do really like the Sonic comics. Um I'm not entirely sure that this movie has the things about Sonic that I like. But I'm probably going to go see with my son. My son and I are going to go see Sonic because we like Sonic. There you go. That's what it's for. 
It'll be fun. And Jim Carrey's in it playing, playing yeah. Dr. Robotnik. He looks hilarious. I don't know. I don't even know who Dr. Whatever is, but sure. Sure, why not, right? Right. Okay. Well, we'll be back next week for some annual talk. And until next time, or until Hawkeye becomes Giant Man, make ours marvel. marvel.